Hi guys, this is Fiona from IELTS Exam Training Courses and Members Academy. Welcome to another episode of my podcast. If you're enjoying them or finding them useful, I'd be really grateful if you could leave me a nice review. Today is International Mother Language Day or Mother Language Day and I've chosen a text all about the benefits of being bilingual. Bilingualism is a huge topic in IELTS, the whole idea of where languages came from and um, why we speak and things like that, how we communicate. So there are actually lots of readings about being bilingual. Um, this one, unfortunately, is quite a difficult one. It is an academic uh, reading and it is a section three. But I think particularly difficult just because things do go in order, but within certain paragraphs. I'll, I'll explain that later. And there are three different types of question. First of all, there's a table. Then there's yes, no, not given. And finally, there's a matching statement. Um, so they're all things that aren't very pleasant anyway. Um, the structure is basically research-based. Um, you can tell from the title, The Benefits of Being Bilingual, that it is going to compare um, monolingual people with bilinguals. And this is exactly what it does. Um, so it kind of, yeah, it goes through different studies and tests um, and things that bilingual people do better um, and what this means, what consequences this has basically for later on in life. Um, it talks about Alzheimer's, um, you know, age-related diseases and also how it benefits very young children who um, have certain skills if they can speak two languages. So that's it. But it's just quite um, complex, really. And it took me quite a while to work this out. So in 20 minutes, it would be difficult. But let's start. So the first table talks about three different tests for differences between bilingual and monolingual people. So there are three different tests and that's the left column and the column on the right is the findings. Um, so for each test there's a kind of result. So this is confined really to the first three paragraphs, well it's paragraph B and C where you'll find all of those tests. Um, one thing to notice in the gap fill in this table is that they use called and known as three times, which can help you. So, for example, in question 29, it says a test called something. So, you know, you have to find the name of a test, which means usually that will be with capital letters or with inverted commas. In this case, it doesn't have inverted commas, but in most of the texts, if anything says they're looking for something which is called or which is known as, then you're looking for a term. Um, 
usually in inverted commas or with capital letters. Other synonyms are things like referred to as or named, something like that. And that's three of the six gaps in this table is looking for a name or a term, what it's called. But the first one doesn't. So there's another thing to help you. The first one talks about observing something of Russian English bilingual people when asked to select certain objects. So we know it's about Russian English bilingual people. So those capital letters make you go straight to paragraph B and find the word Russian English bilingual. That's really easy to find. Um, so it tells that they have to pick up a marker. So that's the synonym for to select certain objects. But you go uh, back to the previous sentence where it says um, some of the most compelling evidence for this phenomenon called language coactivation comes from studying eye movements. So... What are we studying? We're studying eye movements. And then the next sentence says about the Russian English bilinguals. So when we look at the gap, it says observing something of the Russian English bilingual people. And the answer is observing eye movements. So that's two words. And remember the plural. Now, in that same area the whole sentence and the sentence before it, we will find the results, the findings from this watching the eye movements when they pick up these markers. So in the findings part of the table, it says bilingual people engage both languages simultaneously. So they engage both languages at the same time. A mechanism known as something. So a mechanism known as what? What is this thing where they engage both languages, the first language and the second language, at the same time? So when you go back to the place where we've just read in paragraph B, it says just before it, for bilingual people, this activation is not limited to a single language. Um, and it says some of the most compelling evidence for this phenomenon called language coactivation comes from studying eye movements. So remember we said we were looking for synonyms for known as. And in this text, next to the Russian English thing, it says called language coactivation. And actually the language coactivation is in inverted commas here. So this tells us that it is the answer because it is a phenomenon and it is called something. It has a name. So that is how we can find the answer for that gap. And this happens at least once in a reading uh, text, the ones I've been through. It's very common and it's a really important and useful tip. Even if you don't understand what language coactivation means, just guessing and putting those words 
between the inverted commas could and probably will give you the answer. Let's move on now to the second test. This is number 29 and it says a test called something focuses on naming colours. So again we go actually a bit further down to paragraph C where they're talking about colours um, and it says in the classic Stroop task people see a word and are asked to name the colour of the word's font. So this is called the Stroop task. It's got capital letters for both Stroop and task which tells you that it is a name and the test is therefore called the Stroop task. Two words, the answer for 29. Now, even 30, if we look at 30, it says bilingual people are more able to handle tasks involving a skill called something. So again, we're looking for a skill and what is it called? Um, so if we go back to paragraph C, it says, for this reason, bilingual people often perform better or, sorry, perform better on tasks that require conflict management. So we've got more able to handle and this is a synonym for they perform better. Tasks involving a skill, well in the text it says tasks that require. It does not say skill but those two words conflict management are the answers at the end of that sentence which begins bilingual people perform better. So you're looking something for something which is better for bilingual people and the answer is conflict management. Now let's go to the third test and it says a test involving switching between tasks. And then it's got that, so they don't, they give you the test. It's about switching between two tasks. And again, you can find that in paragraph C. It actually says bilinguals are also better at switching between two tasks, for example. Now, here is our answer for question 31. It says, when changing strategies, bilingual people have superior something. So again, we're looking for something which is better in bilingual people. Um, and it says when bilinguals have to switch from categorizing objects by color to categorizing them by shape, they do so more quickly than monolingual people reflecting better cognitive control when having to make rapid changes of strategy. So that's where we've got the changes of strategy in the last part of that sentence. When do they demonstrate their skills? When they um, do this more quickly. So that's superior and have better 
cognitive control better, also meaning superior. So the words cognitive control give us the answer for 31. So that took us through um, paragraph B and C. Actually, it didn't have anything from A. So that might help you when you go to questions 32 to 36, the next set of questions, which are yes, no and not given. Let's move on now to yes, no and not given. So, we always think possibly that we can have a feeling about what's true, what's false and what's not given. And if we look at the first question, you could probably guess the answer without looking at the text. 32 says, attitudes towards bilingualism have changed in recent years. You can kind of tell from that statement, there's nothing controversial there. Um, it's probably common sense that time has changed and therefore attitudes have changed. And therefore, if you go to paragraph A, where it talks about, where it compares the past and the present, it says, in the past, children were, such children, bilingual children, were considered to be at a disadvantage compared with their monolingual peers over the past few decades. However, so you can see the change there, however, um, technological advances have allowed researchers to look more deeply at how bilingualism interacts with and changes the cognitive and neurological systems, thereby identifying several clear benefits of being bilingual. So benefits there are the opposite of in the past when they were considered to be at a disadvantage and the word however tells you um, things have changed really. So the answer for 32, the answer is yes. 33, you have a comparison. Now I always warn about comparisons in yes, no, not given and there are two examples in this text. There are always two examples. Um, have a look at my YouTube videos, you'll see more. So for 33 says bilingual people are better than monolingual people at guessing correctly what words are before they are finished. Now, I do say that you can guess sometimes and because this is comparing bilingual people and it says the benefits of be, being bilingual, you would imagine that bilingual people are better at guessing correctly what words are before they are finished. However, if you go to the text where they're obviously discussing this topic, there is no comparison about who is better at guessing correctly. There's a long part, I'll read it if you want, <laughs> you haven't got much choice. Researchers, research shows that when a bilingual person uses one language, the other is active at the same time. When we hear a word, we don't hear the entire word all at once. The sounds arrive in order. 
Long before the word is finished, the brain's language system begins to guess what that word might be. If you hear can, you will likely activate words like candy and candle as well. So that says everybody does it, but there's no comparison between who does that better. So the answer for 33 is not given. Now, this is a comparison. Again, 34, bilingual people consistently name images faster than monolingual people. Now, a word stands out there for me. The word consistently, meaning always. And that is a kind of alarm bell for me. I expect to find that it happens, but not always. (laughs) Um, So we're looking for how quickly bilingual people name images. Now, when it goes to the part about naming images, it says this. Having to deal with persistent linguistic competition can result in difficulties, however. For instance, knowing more than one language can cause speakers to name pictures more slowly. So, bilingual people, people who know more than one language can cause, can, it's possible, not always, but it can cause them to name pictures more slowly. More slowly, opposite of faster in the statement. And therefore, the statement is wrong. Bilingual people do not always name images faster. They can actually name them more slowly. So there's evidence that that 34 is wrong. 35, another comparison, bilingual people's brains process single sounds more efficiently than monolingual people in all situations. So again, we've got a comparison But there's something, there's always one word which tells us we have to be careful Um, in all situations. It's very similar to the last question which said they consistently name images faster. So it suggests that the text will tell us it's not in all situations. And of course that is exactly what the text does. So if you go to paragraph, hang on, I've got all my papers getting mixed up. So paragraph D, um, it says, when monolingual and bilingual adolescents listen to simple speech sounds, that's a single sound, without any background noise, they show highly similar responses, similar responses, when they have a single speech sound. Now, when they do that, when researchers play the same sound to both groups in the presence of background noise, however, the bilingual listener's response is considerably larger. So, we've got those situations 
In both cases, they hear a single sound, but in the first case, there is some background noise. In the sec, no, sorry, the first case is without background noise. The second case is with background noise. Now, in the first case, they have similar responses. There's no difference. In the second case, however, again, that word however tells us it's not all situations, then the bilingual have a better, larger neural response. So, yes, bilingual people's brains do process single sounds more efficiently than monolingual people, but not in all situations. So that word all there is absolutely essential. And it's those little words which will help you when you recognize them, question, it'll help you question your answer. Is it in all situations? No. Here we've got two different situations. And only in one of those situations do they respond better. Finally, question 36. We've got another comparison. 36. Fewer bilingual people than monolingual people suffer from brain disease in old age. Fewer bilingual people. So the question is, how many, is there a statistic about the difference between bilingual and monolingual people in terms of how many of them suffer from brain disease in old age. Well, you go to paragraph F, immediately you can see Alzheimer's disease, which is a brain disease. Um, and there are lots of comparisons. They say older bilinguals enjoy improved memory relative to monolingual people. In a study of over 200 patients with Alzheimer's disease, so there is a number, but it's just how many people they studied, bilingual patients reported showing initial symptoms of the disease five years later than monolingual patients. Okay, so they got the disease five years later. And then in a follow-up study, um, the bilinguals' brains had more physical signs of disease than the counterparts. Um, so, yes, there's a comparison there. But if we ask ourselves how many bilingual people suffer brain disease compared to monolingual, we don't know. The only number we have is that they studied 200 patients. So you can see the tricks there, very, very tricky answer for question 36. It is not given. 36 discusses um, the timing or compares the timing, how early they get the disease and the severity, how serious the disease is, but there's no comparison between number. Okay, so that is question 36 finished and let's move on now to the final part, questions 37 to 40, where we are matching um, the statements or finding which paragraph they came from. So for the final part, we've got four statements. They're not headings, you're not matching headings, you're looking for these 
little things. Um, for example, 37, it says an example. 38, a demonstration. 39, a description. And 40, a reference. So those words are important because they tell us exactly what kind of information you're looking for. So for 37, um, it says an example. So you would expect to find one kind of illustration of maybe what's different. So it says an example of how bilingual and monolingual people's brains respond differently to a certain type of non-verbal auditory input. So there's a lot of words there, but basically the difference between how they respond to certain types of noise non-verbal auditory input. Now we've talked about that, we just saw that in the true false not given in paragraph D and we saw that, you know, bilingual and monolingual, it was the same um, except when there was background noise. So this is an example and the answer is paragraph D. 38 asks for a demonstration so something which shows us of how a bilingual upbringing has benefits even before we learn to speak. Now, so far, we haven't mentioned that at all. And there's a reason for that. It comes in paragraph G. Paragraph G is where it mentions children a lot. So you can immediately go there um, because this is where you'll find the answer, the demonstration of how a bilingual upbringing has benefits. So, um, in paragraph G, the benefits associated with bilingual experience seem to start very early. That's the topic sentence. And then it talks about in one study, so that's a demonstration, researchers taught seven-month-old babies, blah, 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 and they describe the study and then they say... Only the bilingual babies were able to successfully learn the new rule. Um, so that is the demonstration. And it says this suggests for very young children navigating a multilingual environment. Yes, that's it. Basically, I won't read the whole thing, but it's all in paragraph G. You don't need to look around. That's the only paragraph which mentions um, before we learn to speak. Question 39 asks for a description of a process. Now, this is really easy to find when you look at those words. Where do they describe a process by which people identify words they hear? Well, it would naturally be in the background information, which usually is at the start of the reading. And here it is in paragraph B. How do we know it's a process? Well, it starts with when we hear a word, we don't hear the entire word all at once. So the habit there, the present simple, when we da-da-da, we don't da-da-da, the sounds arrive in order. So there's a kind of process in time here. It says long before the word is finished, the brain's language system begins to guess what that word might be. It's all present simple. It's all process. If you hear can, you will activate words like candy and candle. So that's it. That is paragraph B and it is a description, quite a detailed description of the process. 
Finally, 40, we're just looking for a reference to some negative consequences of being bilingual. Just a reference to some negative consequences. Again, we've come across this already. Um, we're looking for negative language, things like however. And in paragraph C, it says having to deal with this persistent linguistic competition can re result in difficulties, sorry, difficulties, however. So that is paragraph C and that is where you'll find this reference and then they explain how, um, you know, speakers can name pictures more slowly and it increases tip of the tongue states when you can almost but not quite bring a word to mind. So that is a reference to some negative consequences. So the answer for 40 is C. So that has been our tricky um, bilingual text to celebrate Mother Language Day. I actually put this on my website yesterday uh, so I've been organised and it's there ready for you to have a look at. However I've started to change the way I've put them on my website and please do tell me what is better for you. This suggestion came from my lovely student Farhan who's one of my live students in Colchester English Study Centre. And thank you, Farhan, because I told him, look, now you can go on my website, you can find all of these readings. And he had a phone and I showed it to him on his phone and he started scrolling and he said, oh my goodness, it's... Sorry, it suddenly switched off. Anyway, so he said it's really... When you look at it on a phone, um, it looks like it's really long, you know, because you've got the whole text then the whole of the questions, and then all the explanations. So I've tried doing something a bit different. I've just put the paragraphs that you need with the questions underneath them. Just because I thought my whole aim is to make IELTS easier. Um, and if you are trying to study while you're on a phone, you know, in your free time, then it doesn't help you if you've got these huge long texts that you can't read and you have to keep scrolling backwards and forwards. So I had a light bulb moment, thanks to Farhan, um, that I thought if I break it up into paragraphs, okay, it's not the same as the real test, but you're not doing the real test, you're just practicing strategies. So I thought it's probably better for you if I do just put the questions relating to each paragraph next to them. So at least while you're on your phone, you can focus on that paragraph and then look at the question. Does that help? Do you think that's better for you? That makes more sense to me now, um, I think. So I'm going to do that from now on. If you don't agree, I'm open to suggestions. If you have any other ideas that could make it easier for you, that's what I'm looking for constantly, is a way of making IELTS as simple and as enjoyable as it can possibly be. So please, I'd be really grateful if you go and have a look at my new style on of new style of post on my website. Um, and if you want, you can comment below and you can say, yes, this is much better or no, I prefer the old way 
or you can get in touch with me Facebook, Instagram, even leave me a message on this podcast if you're on Anchor. Um, it has a facility to leave a message if you have any suggestions. I would love to hear from you because I I just, you know, don't know what you would rather have. I've been doing the same thing for 30 years and I, I'm sure there are better ways of doing things that I don't know about, but you probably do because you're the ones that have to use these things. Um, okay, thanks ever so much for listening today and have a happy Mother Language Day and I will speak to you very soon. That's all for now. Bye-bye.